right, let's go. Uh, the Unsuckable Podcast is back. I'm your host, Manuel Fid, and yeah, just three of us today. Uh, no Joshua Deming once again, but I'm sure he'll be back at some point soon. But um, joining me, as always, is Adrian Sosa. Adrian, there must, be, there must be a smile on your face. You were so worried about this, this first playoff uh, against Turkey, Portugal against Turkey, and Portugal have made the first step to the final um, facing North Macedonia. And don't worry, we're going to talk about North Macedonia and Italy a ton. But first of all, how are you doing? You must feel a bit better, but probably still a little bit nervous. I do feel better. I I mean, look, I was going into this thinking, what is Fernando Santos going to do? Is it going to be defense first? But there are some surprises, which we'll get into. I'll save that for the, the meaty part of the podcast, but there were some surprises in the lineup and yeah, I'm just relieved that they made it in, but it wasn't the easiest way to get there. There were some scary moments, a little Burak Yilmaz uh, special over the bar, thankfully. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Unfortunately, Josh will be here. We're going to start docking his pay, I think with missing out on the podcast. So it's, it's no, I'm joking, but we hope he comes back soon. (laughs) The the, the Yilmaz penalty, right? Um, Actually, one of my work colleagues at Transfermarkt made a video because he was right behind it. And that's just made 442, the Instagram channels all over the internet, (laughs) 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 including his face. So (laughs) I thought that was quite funny. But yeah, we have lots to talk about. Um, Helping us. So topics today is, of course, um, the the qualifiers, all the qualifiers that we had and so many topics that to go over and. Um, two of the big ones are Com the Ball and, of course, the Conquer Calf. And helping us discussing all of that is, as always, Filippo. Filippo, how's it going, buddy? Um, you 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 overcome the the atrocious result at the Azteca, the boring so zero I, zero draw. I'm doing great. Uh, I was happy Brazil got a four zero win over Chile. It's always good right. to see that, and we'll talk about it soon. This and is what, just do it this is good. This is why it's good to have two countries always. Yeah, especially when one is actually a powerhouse. The other one's just like struggling through everything. But uh, <laughs> the United States and Mexico, I actually fully expected a 0-0 draw. I, I talked about it on the preview. I talked about it on the game during the live stream. And it happened exactly as I expected. So it wasn't a bad result for the United States. Um but the the game itself, right? You you watch a soccer game, you want to see goals and you want to see your team win. I got neither of those. I didn't get a win and I didn't see goals. So <laughs> not the best, but I'm doing great. A little bit tired because this game did end pretty freaking late here in the East Coast, right? I didn't go to sleep. Well, the game ended like midnight in the streams. I didn't go to sleep till 2 or 3 a.m. But let's do this. I'm ready. Yeah, let's do it. Um, let's start with your powerhouse then, Filippo. Uh, Brazil. And come the ball. I mean, they're pretty much through. Uh, the big game, though, yesterday um, feels like a lifetime ago because there were so many big games yesterday. It was uh, Uruguay against Peru. And Uruguay with a pretty massive result for them um, because it didn't look exactly great at some point for them in World Cup qualifying. But they now have pretty firmly secured that fourth place, which will see them go straight to Qatar. Eh? Yeah, uh, well... When World Cup qualifying started for Comebol, I fully expected Uruguay to qualify because you look at the players they have, right? Frederico Valverde, Ahascaeta from Flamengo, Suarez is still impactful, Darwin Nunes that um, Adrian knows so well, he manages in the back line, Godin. It's a strong squad. 
right? Cavani, it's a very strong squad. But they were looking like they weren't going to go through. But then they got a new coach. And uh, I believe Oscar Tabares was the one that parted ways. Longtime Uruguay coach. I could be wrong on that. I hope I didn't say the wrong name. And Uruguay recovered. And this win against Peru locked them into the World Cup. They are in the World Cup right now. And the four teams from Comenbol that are officially qualified are obviously Brazil and Argentina. As we reported months ago, they qualified. And then Ecuador and Uruguay are the other two. Now, Comenbol still has to figure out who's going to be the fifth one that's going to play the Interconfederate playoff against a national team from Asia, I believe. So right now it's Peru sitting in fifth place. Then we got Colombia in sixth and Chile in seventh. Now, Peru has 21 points, Colombia has 20, and Peru and Chile has 19. So pretty much one point gap for each. What's going to happen the last game? The last round depends, right? They don't face each other. Peru faces Paraguay, Chile faces Uruguay, and um, Colombia faces Venezuela. So all teams are facing other nations that are not really fighting for anything. So it becomes kind of tricky. So if you go by that, technically Peru are the favorites to get that fifth spot once again, as they did in the last cycle. They're going to play Paraguay at home. So as long as Peru can get the homework done, they'll make it to to Qatar. And here's the big surprise, Manuel. Colombia. Colombia could miss the World Cup. A a, a talented squad, a strong squad. Definitely not as good as the 2014 one they had. But it it was a national team I expected to at least finish top five in Comenball. But it looks like it's another strong national team that we might not see in Qatar just like the one from UEFA we're going to talk about very soon. Yeah, Colombia, what, what do you think is going on there? Um, because as you said, this is, a, this is a country that has, I think a lot of people have a very romantic outlook on, right? Because it does produce quite a lot of very good technical gifted players, a lot of strikers. Um, but it, it does feel like through the history of this country, it's always a little bit of a sense that they underperform. It's, Why do you um, think that is that? You're absolutely right about that. It is a nation of underachievement when it comes to soccer. If you go back to their 90s generation, uh, even in the 94 World Cup, you had many pundits, and rightfully so for what they did in World Cup qualifying, putting them ahead of Brazil and Argentina. And then they go to the World Cup and they drop in the group stage. I think there's a lot of out of the field issues, attitude issues, right? Uh, players sometimes might not be as committed. You saw that with James Rodriguez throughout his career. Some players have aged, even though they're still very effective right now. They have aged like Cuadrado. But yeah, the, you look at their team, they should absolutely make it to the World Cup, right? Ospina on goal still experienced and reliable goalkeeper. James Rodriguez is still there. Quilar, one of the sixes, is very good. Cuadrado. Luis Diaz, complete baller for Liverpool. Muriel, the Atalanta bros, right? Luis Muriel and Zapata. There's so much talent in that team, but they always seem to underachieve. And when they're very good, they make it to the World Cup and they underachieve in the World Cup. And then when they're good, they don't even make it to the World Cup like this cycle, right? Uh, I don't know, Manu. I think it's more of like an attitude and mentality problem. Something that we often talk about, for example, Mexico, right? Because Mexico does have talented players or at least had talented players in the past. Uh, still has a few, and they always kind of like underachieve or never achieve over what they're supposed to. I think it's a similar situation, and and I actually think Colombia might actually miss out on this World Cup. I didn't expect this when it started, but it's looking like Peru, which is very well coached by Ricardo Gareca, they'll probably get that fifth spot, and then they'll battle it off with an Asian side. 
I think one of the most beautiful shirts that I have is uh, the 2018 Columbia shirt. Um, yeah. Yeah, they'd be missed if they don't go in. Um, I think you also wanted to chat a little bit about Brazil and what they have been doing. 4-0 against, um, against Chile. Yeah. Qualified. Um, but it's I guess it's, it's a little bit of an experimenting, experimenting time for them, isn't it? Yeah, Brazil and Argentina qualified very early, and Tichi has been experimenting a few things. And I think we talked about this in a previous podcast. So I think I said it here probably on my channel that I thought Vinicius, by the time Qatar approached, he would be a better player than Neymar at that moment because Neymar seems to be declining every single week that goes by, and Vinicius has been looking better and better as the season goes on for Real Madrid. But I don't see Chichi benching Neymar, right? How can you do that in Brazil right now? But at the same time, it's becoming a situation where how do you not play Vinicius? And what we saw in this game against um, Chile specifically was he played Vinicius on the left wing, Neymar as a center forward slash false nine, right? Whatever you want to call it. And Anthony on the, the right wing, which we could see Hafinha or Anthony there alternate two quality wingers. So he experimented, and Brazil strolled through Chile 4-0. It doesn't matter if Chile is not as good as they used to be. 4-0 against Chile is a 4-0. It's not easy. No. And this might be something we could see in the World Cup. As long as everyone's healthy, we could see Neymar play as a center forward in the World Cup and have Vinicius play at the left wing. And then the right wing will be either Antonio or Rafinha. It's an interesting tactical approach. It was a 4-2-3-1 also was kind of weird to see Neymar play as a false nine on a 4-2-3-1 because usually you don't play a false nine when you already have a 10, right? But it looks like that might happen. And I'm intrigued by it. I have mixed feelings about it. Before we move on to UEFA, I do have one final question out of left field for you, Filippo. Anthony, there has been a lot of talk about Bayern Munich wanting to sign him. And I just, you know, out of curiosity, covering Bayern Munich a ton, what sort of player do you think he is and how would he fit in there? So, personally, I don't know how he would fit in Bayern Munich. I don't watch them enough to precisely respond to that. But Anthony, when he was in Sao Paulo in Brazil, he was what I called and many people call the Peladero, a player that's... Peladero in Brazil is essentially a guy that's highly technical, super technical, probably one of the most technical players you'll see, can dribble through everyone. I'm sure Dortmund fans definitely saw that in the games. But he never produced much out of it right it's like what is that good for if you don't get assist or or draw good fouls or or score goals and it seemed like that shifted as he went to Ajax he's a productive player he's a different player from what I remember at Sao Paulo and he can fit in any team as an inverted winger slash inside forward so if Bayern likes to play with inverted wingers he can be a perfect fit on the right wing he's very pacey super fast his dribbling ability is fantastic, and that's what you're going to get out of him, right? The decision-making has been improving. That's what I've been noticing, at least from Brazil. I don't watch Ajax as much. Um, if Bayern is patient, this is a very, very talented player with a lot of flair. He's exciting to watch, man. If you're covering Bayern, you, to a bare minimum, you're going to have fun watching him. Yeah, I, I'm really curious. I think Bayern Munich are very interested. Um, it seems like they're poaching half of Ajax right now. So Anthony, Gravenberg and uh, Marsoni are all on their, on their shopping list. Um, makes sense too. Um, some, some, some big overlaps between those two clubs. Um, but yeah, let's move on, on to UEFA before we get too much into transfer talk. And uh, bring in Adrian. Adrian, you already alluded to it a little bit. Um, 
but that's 3-1 win. I guess it was over. I, I remember Filippo putting this in the chat. Um, I was watching the the Wales against Austria game, which was, by the way, also excellent. And Gareth Bale has <laughs> such a different player when he plays for Wales. Maybe we can talk about that in a little bit too. But it was Portugal got the job done pretty quickly, Adrian. They did and they didn't because it felt like they had got the job done when they were 2-0 up. You know, I mean, to start this match, they were all over Turkey and Turkey looked like they were going to be on the back foot. They looked like they are going to be the Turkey from Euro 2020. We remember everyone saying they're going to be the dark horses. They're going to do so well. And they're an absolute flop at Euro 2020, which was too bad to see. So, yeah, that was always going to be the question is which Turkey are we going to get? And at least at the outset, they looked like flop Turkey. And Portugal were all over them. You know, Ronaldo missed a good opportunity. Jota missed an opportunity from two, three yards out that he somehow managed to put over the bar. And I remember Filippo saying in the chat, like, this could come back to bite them. But then Portugal went 2-0 up. They did finish off those opportunities. But as soon as they did that, then you started to see Turkey finally start to come into this game a little bit and start to pass their way through that very shaky back line. Because as many know, probably Portugal had, whether it was COVID issues with Pepe, whether it was injuries for Ruben Dias, a suspension for Juan Cancelo, that's three out of your four back line right there. So it's just Rafael Guerrero, Joseph Font, um, Danilo, of course, from PSG, you know, the midfielder that moonlights as a center back. And then the right back was Diogo Dalot from Manchester United. So not the most convincing back line I have ever seen for Portugal. But to combat that, I was thinking, you know, this is Fernando Santos. He's going to go a double triple pivot, throw as many central midfielders as he can in there. But he didn't. He just had João Moutinho in front of them. And then a very attacking lineup. Bruno Fernandes, Bernardo Silva, Otavio from Porto, and Cristiano Ronaldo out there, Jota. So it was very, very attacking. And I guess his thinking was to go on the front foot and not have to defend as much as possible. And ultimately it worked. But when Turkey started to find their form a little bit, they could pass through that back line so easily. A back line that was just not covered at all with just a single Jean Moutinho in front of it. And there was opportunities that they had in the first half to pull one back. Now, it took them until the second half to do so with Burak Yilmaz pulling one back. And then, of course, oh, Manuel, as you mentioned, that penalty. That penalty from Burak Yilmaz, that, that felt like if Turkey got that goal, that we could potentially see Portugal just crumble under the pressure of letting them go from 2-0 down to 2-2. Just like that. But of course, they missed that penalty. And what happens? Portugal go in the other direction and make it 3-1. So it was nervy. It was it was a lot closer than it should have been, probably. But, you know, respect to Turkey for being able to put that pressure on Portugal's back line. And hopefully, Pepe will be back for the next one, right? Yeah, and the next one is going to be really interesting, too. But um, before we talk about the next one, guys... Um, Yilmaz misses that penalty and he's announced today that he is going to retire from the Turkish national team. That's crazy. Good for them. (laughs) I'm joking. I'm joking. He's actually a great player. I'm joking about that. But that is like, honestly, I mean, I guess he's 36, but still is it, it does feel a little bit like an emotional response almost, doesn't it? He said the opposite, though. He said, trust me, this is not an emotional response. This is something that I've been thinking about for a while, blah, blah, blah. Now, of course, he could just be saying that. But um, it did (laughs) the optics of it, of course, because I think he said it directly after the match. 
Mm-hmm. So it, the optics of it were like, oh, you missed that penalty. You messed it up for your country in some respects. And then you Maybe. retire right away. It had a bit of a Lionel Messi sort of tinge well, to it, you know? Maybe his plan was to retire if they made it to the World Cup, right? At the World Cup. And since they didn't qualify right there and he knew it, that was already part of his plan, maybe, by based off his age as well. Could be. Yeah, I, I think that's it. I think that's it, Filippo. I think you're right there. And before the Lionel Messi fans all jump on us just it's just relax it's okay we're just joking around here but yeah I think that it's too bad that that is going to be the final kick of the ball for him for his country because like you said he's a great player and to still be doing it in Lille um, and for the national team I mean he was the best player in their attack yesterday still so it's too bad but hey maybe this is something that they need I don't know who's sort of going to be waiting in the wings to take his place as their striker but yeah he has a decent legacy despite that missed penalty Miss penalties are a little bit off um, a theme, I think, because Italy did not miss a penalty against uh, North Macedonia, but they did miss a crucial penalty in their last World Cup qualification game. Um, I think it was against the Northern Ireland. It was against Northern Ireland. Yeah. And was it against Switzerland as well? It was. Sorry, it was against Switzerland as well. Yeah. Um, and which basically sent him into this playoff, right? And I um, wonder how Joaquinho now feels about missed penalties because um, Italy out of the World Cup for the second time in a row. I mean, this is such a remarkable story in so many ways because they win the World Cup in 2006. Their last regulation knockout stage win was against Ukraine. Right, the last knockout stage win at the World Cup was the final. Although technically that was a draw, right, because it went into penalties. Um, if they beat Germany after they, you know, and we have to remember too, before even going into the World Cup, there was the the whole Calcio Poli scandal. Uh, they got Thorsten Frings suspended for the semi final after re- using video review. Uh, there was that infamous Sedan incident in the final as well. And it seems like, I don't know who wants to jump on this first, but it seems like bad karma has followed this Asuri side. I have a different six. I have a different opinion. (laughs) I just, so I just think Italy, and sorry to interrupt, Manuel. I'm going to, do you want to finish your point? I'm sorry. No, go for it, man. I was just going to say, I just don't think their teams have been as good. Um, Simple as that. Even the one that won the Euros, right? It wasn't Euro, a Euro Cup with some different circumstances. We didn't have Germany at their best. Like Germany right now would probably be one of the favorites to win it. We had a Belgium side that choked once again. The French side that choked early as well. England made it to the final, which was a major overachievement. So the team is the team is good. Definitely, there's a lot of quality players. But this is not a World Cup contending team. And, and a lot of the times when anyone sees a good Italian side or a good Brazilian side or even a good German side, they just think automatically that's a team to win the World Cup. And I can give more examples here. Brazil in 2010, Brazil in 2014. Those are not teams to win World Cups, but people still thought Brazil was one of the favorites. Germany in 2006 at home. And no offense, Manuel, but that team was just not good enough to win a World Cup. But there were people believing that they were going to win the World Cup. So 
Yeah, but uh, the, the difference is still Filippo. Uh, before 2018, you put Germany in a World Cup and you knew that they would at least reach the, the quarterfinal. Well, because they Always. have better players. My, my whole point no, no, is... No, no, um, no. Like, we, we reached the 2002 final with probably the worst team we've ever sent well, to the World Cup. So did Brazil. But my whole point is that Italy, even when they have a weaker team, just like Brazil and Germany, the expectations are always of World Cup contention. And and when they won the Euros last year, uh, they were placed, including by us too, that as, oh, this team might be able to pull and win a World Cup. But when you look at their team on paper and the players they have, that's not quite what it is, right? It's not quite what it is. It's a very good team, but it's not anything that special. Now, to their defense, they should have qualified regardless. They were better than they're better than North Macedonia, and I believe Switzerland was the one that knocked them out in the group stage. They're better than Switzerland, in my opinion, as well. But I just think the team is not as good as we all thought it was, and some players are also old. That's I would all agree with you is. there. Yeah, sorry to cut you off, man, but I I think yeah. I know what you're saying in that when you look at this Italian side, you don't see any sort of icons like they had in the past like a Totti or a Del Piero or a Pirlo or those kinds of players it doesn't seem like they have that kind of quality anymore and even like a Ciro Immobile who's a very good Serie A scorer every time he puts on that Italian he was a jersey, disaster in the Bundesliga I grin. he was that's why I'm saying a very good Serie A scorer <laughs> every time he puts on that Italian jersey he just is a calamity like he just ghosts every single time and so you look at this team and who can they look to to be that goal scorer. And I think that that guy's currently injured in Federico Chiesa. He's maybe one of the players in that team that I look to and think, okay, this guy actually has potential to be, you know, a, a game winner because he has that pace and he's so direct and he has a decent finish in comparison to the others. But it's just a classic Italian problem that they've had lately. And they, you even saw signs of that in Euro 2020 as well, just a difficulty to score goals at times. Because when you look at their run from, the knockout stages, uh, maybe against Spain onward, I think that was the semifinal onward. Um, it just, they can't put the ball in the back of the net. It's a, it's laborious. I mean, we saw Berardi yesterday miss an absolutely incredible chance with a basically an open goal that he couldn't put it in. And just time and time again, either there's no one to meet across or there's no one to finish one off. And I don't know. I think that Mancini has to take some of the blame as well because it feels like, like, what is Insigne doing out there? He's been in terrible form in the last. So look forward to that, Toronto FC supporters. No, I'm sure he'll do fine in MLS, but he's ready for MLS, Adrian. He's He's ready ready for MLS. He's already thinking about that big bag he's going to be collecting from Toronto. But um, yeah, he's he's going to sign half of North Macedonia. (laughs) That's right. I saw that. Suspicious login attempts from uh, Toronto FC HQ (laughs) on transfer. Yeah, they're looking up whose whose contracts are up the the soonest. Um, But yeah, I think that Mancini will have to take some of the blame because like, for example, like a guy like Scamacca, who's been really good at Sassuolo. I feel like he should have been given an opportunity. Zaniolo from Roma should have maybe been given an opportunity. But no, it's it's the same lineup over and over again. Insigne on the left, Immobile through the middle, and it's just stale. And I do wonder if he's going to now try to sort of shake things up a little bit because it feels like it needs to happen. It was just a bunch of out-of-form attackers trying their best out there and just they couldn't make it happen, could they? Don't you think Italian soccer uh, has been just so... Like we talked about Brazil and Germany, and I put Italy in that category in terms of tradition, right? These are three national teams that are by far the most accomplished ones in history of soccer. But it kind of seems like Brazil and Germany, when they have a little bit of a weaker generation, 
it's not as weak as Italy's when they're weaker, right? They seem to, and they also seem to bounce back quicker. They seem to get players quicker than Italy. And Italy's just going through a stint right now, uh, a I long think it's one. It's a little bit different than that. I think that like Brazil, because of the easier World Cup qualification, and you can take me apart for that if you want to. But I think I think Brazil and Argentina will always qualify in their group. That's just because of the way it's set up. They like they, they will always get there, and when they're there, because of what football means in that country, they will do well because like there is like a burden almost, right? And just to co- just to correct you, man, so you don't get hate. Actually, um, I don't think you're saying that Coleman ball is weak. I think you're saying because of the setup. In the setup, because I agree with you. Setup. Yeah, yeah, the I setup. agree with you. It's, it it's guarantees um, you that, like, because you, it's not like you know, like, yes, like a, a, a World Cup qualification failure could have happened to Brazil and Argentina if they were in in, in UEFA, because like e- even though they would finish maybe. Let's say they would be drawn together. One of them would finish second. And then something like this over 90 minutes could happen. You go out. Yes, um, right? I agree. The, the way, just so everyone understands, the way it works in Comebol, it's 10 teams, five, yeah. four qualify. And it's just like a, it's just a home and away game. So you play 18 games. So there's a lot of room for error. And that yeah. benefits the better teams. And Brazil and Argentina are, have a, quite a bit of a gap there and that's why so yeah i agree with that i agree yeah, you know that the world because you look at the italy's record for example like that would have been easy easily enough for them to qualify out of conquer cuff or come the ball if the if if the setup would be the same um to, to clarify that but like germany for example they have a slip up maybe in qualifying like they slipped up against north macedonia and that slip up now looks very different than it does now. And that was under former head coach Joachim Löw as well. Um, but they always get the results against the smaller teams, no matter no matter who is in their squad. You know, I, I talked about this 2002 team uh, that reached the final. I mean, that team needed the playoffs and needed to go and needed to beat a very good Ukraine side at the time to get to 2002 after um, losing 5-1 at home in, to England. Um you know, which is a disaster that should never happen. Um, but, you know, they still managed to then get to the World Cup and get a very good result there, despite the fact that the team was bad. And I think it's Italian football has always been either they're going to win it or they're going to go out in flames. It's never an in the middle thing. And that's very different, I think, than when you see what you see from Brazil or Germany for whatever reason, Filippo. Um, and maybe it's it's a mentality thing. And maybe also... This current crop of players is just a little bit overrated. Like, when are we going to finally accept that Donnarumma is not the world's best keeper? He's not better than Kaylor Navas, if I'm no, being completely not, honest. He's not. A, he's we. He was praised by international media for for years, and like every time I've seen him, I'm like, yeah, he's a tall guy in goal. And this sounds harsh, but like that shot. That shot, a world-class keeper has. Well, and he then, also cost Real Madrid the qualification. Sorry, I mean, not Real Madrid. PSG against Real Madrid. He was yeah. a big reason. Yeah. So, like, and then you look through the squad, and like, Italian football has this thing where we just like, I think those players are all a little bit overrated, or maybe a lot. And then the sum of its parts is just not working well. Mancini did a fantastic job of putting the sum of its parts together for Euro, but it's not working in this one, is it? No, it's not. And that's something that you hear a lot of Italian football watchers 
talk about a lot is that they do have a little bit of an issue with the young talent that's coming through in Italy. And it just seems like, you know, it's because Manuel, didn't Germany have to completely revamp their whole development system? And that sort of contributed to them sort of, you know, the ultimate moment being them winning the World Cup in 2014. But it took like a huge sort of grassroots approach, like revamp, basically. And, and it's it feels happening like- right now again after 2018. Yeah, there you go. And it feels like that, like the Italian grassroots sort of, or the uh, developmental part of Italian football just isn't up to snuff in comparison to other nations, perhaps. Um, and maybe that's they're sort of reaping what they sow for not putting that focus on it. I don't know. But yeah, it's it's hard to look at this side and it's and you look at the sort of talent that's coming through and like who's going to be that next, like we were talking about earlier, that next icon for them. And it's really difficult to identify anyone really. And now we're seeing them sort of struggle because of it. College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's victories into your own big win. New customers can bet $5 on any team to get $250 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state, you can still join the college hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot to share over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer the question, who will make it to the next round? And who will hit the most three-pointers? Then track your results. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any college hoops team to win and get $250 dollars in free bets if they do if they win you win with the promo code tbpn this week at DraftKings sportsbook 21 plus restrictions apply see show notes for details so before we move on from italy i have a question for both of you guys to try to pick your opinion how much do you think the downfall of the italian giant clubs right? How much that might have played a role, right? Because we've seen many teams like Inter Milan and AC Milan used to be powerhouses uh, until until 2009. Before that, they were powerhouses. Juve definitely fell off more now. Uh, Fiorentina back in, I think, 90s or 80s used to be a powerhouse. Napoli in the 80s, 90s, uh, Roma in the 2000s. And, and it seems like it fell off a lot in an international level. How much you guys think that might have played a role too? I think it's connected to what I was saying earlier about sort of the the young talent that comes through, sort of the academies of the clubs. Because when you look at AC Milan, for example, there's not really, you know, an Italian spine in there like they used to have. Like that dominant AC Milan side for all those decades, you know, it was Maldini and Pirlo and just on and on and on. There was that Italian spine. Even with Inter, you had that in the past as well. So I think that it's sort of interconnected, Filippo, and at least in some way, I think, at least. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, there's a lot of romanticism about Italian football at the moment. And I think it's it's a wonderful product. Um, but you look at the infrastructure that a lot of the clubs are still playing. And then I, I realize that a lot of these teams are building new stadiums. And um, Milan, for example, is building a new stadium. But you look at a club like Fiorentina, they're still playing playing in a stadium that in a lot of European countries probably wouldn't be allowed to play in, right? And um, I think this kind of infrastructure goes throughout. Um, I think there is a lot of good things happening with investors coming in. Italian football is very investor-friendly. But 
I'm not sure that investment is necessarily geared towards actually making Italian youth football better and making the structure and the infrastructure behind the football better. And even if it is, that takes time. It takes a long time. You know, you're talking about a generation of young talent coming in. So I think that you make a really good point there, Filippo. I think club football in Italy um, is one of the big reasons behind the struggle. Um, and, you know, you see this with a lot of European leagues. A lot of European leagues are hurting because of the, the Premier League um, and the imbalance the investors have caused in that competition. And this area are very much is one of them. And they haven't really found a way to walk away from the start from being a star driven league to investing into their own talent like the bundesliga has done in the early 2000s and mid 2000s right to kind of respond to this premier league dominance and it's kind of probably will have to do again now and i think that is definitely one of the big reasons for what's going on in italian football and it's sad because it is it is a great competition you look at all these names like milan used to be a Champions League contender. Inter Milan won the Champions League in 2010, right? Um, Juve is, it has been trying so desperately to win a competition internationally and can't do it. Um, you look at a club like Napoli with all its history and with the history of Diego Maradona, but you know they, they, they're now losing one of the best players to MLS. And it, I, I think that there is a big reckoning coming to Italian football. Um, and it's going to be very interesting to see how they're going to tackle that. Um, guys, before we go on, talk a little bit about CONCACAF. I do want to talk about Gareth Bale. The, and I, I don't know if you guys uh, disagree with this, but I think Gareth Bale essentially is now just Bales and golf. What do you guys think? 100%. I mean, <laughs> it's crazy that he can take... What feels like months off from playing for Real Madrid. And then he just pulls on that Wales jersey. And he looks like he hasn't missed a step. Like he's in the form of his life. Like those goals he, was he scored. Class. He was oh absolutely world class. He was so good. That panel, that free kick was amazing. But that second goal was actually almost better. Exactly. The technique for that second goal was just outrageous. And we have so much data now that basically proves as soon as this guy puts... Like I would be surprised... Has this ever happened before where someone just retires from club football and just plays international football and he could just like golf in between and then the international break and he plays for Wales? Could that happen? Is that allowed? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you, you technically can. He's doing that with the contract, <laughs> with the gloves, essentially. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, so I think a lot of it has to do too with, um, one, it can be motivation, right? He's very highly motivated to play for his, for his country. And we know he has the qualities. We've seen it before. He Maybe is a the great game made it evident that that game alone was world-class. Yes, he's, he's, a, he's, a world, he's a world-class player. There's a reason Real Madrid paid all that money, but... It, there's a lot that can play into it. Maybe the confidence that Wales gives him too because he comes in there and he is the man in that team and he probably enjoys that. Also the motivation to play for his country. And uh, I guess he really wants to play the World Cup. That could be also something that drives him. But but yeah, he looks like a different player for the national team than he does for Real Madrid when Real Madrid even plays him. And, and even at Tottenham, when he was at Tottenham last season, um didn't look as brilliant as he does for Wales. Yeah, someone needs to find him a home where he can do this. Like, you know, in some ways, and I don't want to start any transfer rumors here, but maybe MLS would be ideal for him. You know, some club in 
California. He would tear it up. He would tear it up. Yeah, just to be stay match fit for Wales, right? Yeah, and and he would be able to enjoy life and probably score thirty goals a season. Yeah, and like take yeah. off a night when he needs to. Um, no, yeah, no, no, Manu, he, Manu. Unless he goes to Inter Miami, that will kind of screw him over. Oh God, and that's actually kind of feasible, isn't it? Because he's probably buddies with Beckham. You know, yeah, um, and, and Miami isn't Miami the area that has the most golf courses too. <laughs> oh, so that's perfect then. <laughs> you can go to Inter Miami. <laughs> Here it is. You heard it here first. Bail to Inter Miami confirmed. Um, I don't know what other places have. Vancouver has a ton of golf courses. Just saying. And similar weather to Wales too. So maybe he'll like that. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's be realistic here. I, I mean, honestly, like for him, that might be ideal. Um, come to MLS, be a superstar here, take the occasional night off, play for Wales, go to the World Cup. Um I, I think this needs to happen. I think it'd be a ton of fun. You forgot uh, the most important part. What is that? Probably get paid like 10 to $15 million a year. And <laughs> as Neymar said, they have more vacations. So Vacation it's league. Yeah, Neymar, Neymar called it a vacation league. That's right. We, we, mm. Wait, vacation what? When to go to MLS? Yeah, yeah. He said that he said that MLS has more months off than Europe and Brazil. So he... Well... Essentially, what the, he, Neymar was asked in the podcast was uh, if he planned on going back to Brazil to retire after PSG, to which he said that he would prefer to go to MLS because there were more months off. And to be fair, the Brazilian league, the Brazilian like schedule or calendar for soccer has like two or three weeks off only. In the whole, it's it's chaotic. Abel Ferreira the regional agent, competitions, right? Yes, it's nuts. Abel Ferreira complained because. In Europe, you have like 50 games a season, 60 yeah. if you go very deep in cups, right? In Brazil, even if you don't go very deep in cups, you're capable of playing 80 games. It's something crazy like that. So um, Neymar definitely doesn't want that. So MLS would probably be the best for him. Amazing. Um, <laughs> we got Neymar and Bale at uh, Inter Miami hanging out. Uh, Manuel, can I get, tell you one thing about the Brazilian soccer calendar right now, just so you guys can go crazy? So the Brazilian league has not started yet. The Brazilian league. Palmeiras has already played this season uh, 13, over 15 games. The league hasn't started. Neither has the Libertadores for them. So Palmeiras hasn't started the cup, hasn't started the league, hasn't started the Champions League of South America, and they have already 15 games under their belt. What games, though? What, like, it's what are they the playing? State, the state tournament. You oh, have the to state play it. Okay. Yeah, and it, the state tournament is like if you win it, you play around twenty games already to start the season. It's crazy. That is. Have they made any like intention of changing that at all, or they just want to stick to it? Uh, I don't know. The there's a lot of money, and Abel Ferreira, for example, that's from Portugal, has been complaining about it every time. They're like, "This is madness. The players can't play this much." Um, but no, they're not changing it because there's so much money because the, the state championships there are what drives the rivalries, right? You play all your rivals and it's, uh, it's tradition and no, nah, I don't think that's going to change ever or not, say, in, it, not in my life. It's a big part, right? Like history is like really a big part, like Sao Paulo state championship and the, yes. the Rio yes. state championship and all that. I mean, like I, I grew up learning about that and that was like, they didn't even have a national championship for a while. Like 
it was all yes, state championships. You're right. And there was like region too, like Southeast, and they yeah. would play the champ. It, 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 you're right. That's how it used to be. Yeah. And that's really hard to get rid of. Um, like, you probably shouldn't. Maybe you just need bigger squats. But I don't know. Maybe we need to talk about just that for an episode at some point further down the line um, because we could probably talk about it forever. But we have another topic to talk about. And Adrian, we still have to wait till Sunday for Canada to finally qualify for the World Cup for the first time since 1986. Although when you look at the, the standings, you look at that goal differential, you look at the result between Mexico and the US, I mean, come on. It feels inevitable. Yeah, it feels inevitable. It feels just like we just have to get through these games regardless of results in in some respects, of course. And you obviously want to keep winning to keep that good momentum going. But yeah, it was uh, it was a disappointment last night. But hey, at least now there's a possibility to wrap it up in Toronto, to clinch it in Toronto in front of that big Jamaican population in Toronto. So it should be it should be a fun match on Sunday. I'm really looking forward to that one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. Essentially also because I think a lot of the pressure is off now. Um, just just to outline it, it's six points to Costa Rica who are in fourth. Canada has clinched fourth place. Um, that one is secure. But so like Costa Rica has to win their last two games and also has to overcome a goal differential of 11 goals. I mean, yeah. really? Yeah. <laughs> and, and as Filippo pointed out before we started recording, I think they've only scored, I'm sure you have the table in front of you, like nine goals or something in this yeah. qualifying cycle. So it does seem like it's not going to happen for them because, you know, as we saw last night, they, they do labor a little bit in the attack, which is rich to say as, as Canada did lose, which we can get into, of course, but they, they don't look like the most flying attack out there. So, I mean, Canada is basically in there. So, yeah, it's it's cool to see. It would have been nice to clinch it last night. But like I said, doing it in Canada has that little special feeling if we can get it done against the Jamaicans. It wasn't for lack of trying, though. I think they hit the crossbar and post three times. Yep. Um, that was after Kaye was sent off. And here is my take on the Kaye sending off. Look, we've all seen uh, Matarita's ankle. We've all seen the replay. Mark Anthony Kay was so lucky to be still on the field after that incident. And as you rightly pointed out pre, uh, pre-recording, pro uh, Adrian, there was an, another incident as well. So then he gets involved in an altercation. And did the Costa Rican player flop? Did he oversell it? Yes, that's all correct. But MAK still leans in with his shoulder into the player. He knows exactly what he's doing while being on a yellow card that was very much orange already. The referee had no choice but to send him off. I mean, yeah, he was he was basically just looking for an excuse to send him off because, like I said, there's that moment towards the beginning of the match where I think he was just sort of jostling for a header with the Costa Rican defender and he grabbed him by the shoulders and threw him to the ground. So there's one infraction. Then there's the orange should have been a red card that you mentioned. And so basically you have the spotlight on you where the referee is going to say, oh, you again, you're involved with something again, flop or not. I mean, obviously any 
any player is going to flop like that and try to sell it to a guy that like the players knew that he was one foul away basically from getting sent off so of course they're going to flop away one incident away exactly you you stand out again you're done Exactly. So, I, I mean, he only has himself to blame. I know a lot of people were frustrated by that, but he should have known better. It's sort of the, you know, and I hate saying this, but what they always say in the media is sort of the street smarts of playing the game. And he showed none of them there by getting involved. He never should have left a shoulder in. Yeah, he deserved it. He should have been off earlier. And uh, it's too bad because it could have been a very different game. And based on that second half manual, I mean, Canada looked like they were up a man in that second half with the way that they were playing. I mean, there was still domination. As you rightly pointed out, they hit the post, they hit the crossbar, they had scrambles in front of the goal where Buchanan maybe could have scored. It was just madness out there. So I commend them for how they performed after going a man down, but uh, it's one of those what could have been sort of matches for Canada. See, I almost wonder if they played better man down because all of a sudden, it was all about just relying on speed. For the first time, this was something that they really had to rely on and they had to feel to do it, <laughs> which, yeah. we, which we actually denied them playing at home. And we kind of saw, like, honestly, this game, if they play this 10 times, Canada wins nine out of them um, because a lot of those chances would probably go in. And they win that and they win it in dominant fashion with a man down. Because they relied on the things that make this team good, which is speed, um, trying to get through the middle third very quickly. Um, for the first time, we also had complete pass comp- uh, uh, ball domination as well. Um, and these are things that we sort of, again, we denied them by having them play in Edmonton and um, you know on frozen ground and Hamilton and all that sort of stuff. We made this team worse than it actually is. Uh, by not giving them the environment to succeed. And we kind of saw last night what happens when you give this team the environment to succeed in. Granted, the ball didn't go in, but again, like on a normal day, the ball will go in with a man down. I mean, this was probably the best performance we've seen from Canada. Yeah, that second half was incredible. You know, it felt like a goal was coming and then it was still coming and then it was still coming and it never came, but it really was a really good performance in that regard. And it was... You know, given the changes at the back as well, because I don't know how you felt about Atiba Hutchinson and his performance at center back. I love the guy, obviously, um, and what he, he does struggled. in midfield. But yes, exactly. He really struggled back there. And there were moments where he and, and even Borean, it felt like it threw Borean off a little bit as well with what was going on when he was holding onto the ball too long. And there was almost that failed clearance that went straight into the goal. So the back line was scary. It was definitely scary. And against a team that wanted to attack a little bit more. Because, again, Costa Rica, a man up, They some of the changes that they made were so negative. And they really wanted to sit back and protect that lead. And I think that that also played into Canada's hands a little bit as well. Um, but, yeah, I can't wait for Vittoria to be back. It sounds like he might be back on Sunday, hopefully, hopefully. Because we need him back there. And just sort of the presence, basically, that he has in uh, commanding that back line. But... Other than that, I thought it was great. And by the way, a big shout out to me because I am solely responsible for this, me and me alone. At the end of one of our podcasts, I cut you off and said that Herbman needs to cap Ismail Kone ASAP. And he did it. He did it. And he looked great out there, didn't he? He was awesome. 
great player. Um, I got a lot of questions yesterday about his market value because that's still his market value from when he first entered the league. MLS market values are coming next Friday. Um, we have them scheduled. And uh, the $55,000 are going to look very different next Friday. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine. <laughs> He's worth about uh, he's worth about a Tesla. I, I'm not, right I'm now. not allowed to I'm not allowed to say um, how much it's going up, but like yeah, we're adding a few zeros. <laughs> yes, I can imagine because I mean he just looks so good out there. He's so comfortable and calm on the ball, despite in spite of his age, I should say. Um, and you can see just how some players you can just tell when they have that technical ability that puts them above the rest, and he absolutely so, has it. Yeah, he's really really he's good. He's going at him. to be. Uh, a world-class player. Do you think um, he starts against Jamaica or he saves him for the final game? He's going to come off the bench the three yeah. times that you need to cap him to make him never switch allegiance ever again. Um, <laughs> now he's secured for three years, which is already like good enough in my opinion. But like, yeah, he'll all cap him the last two games as well because like, honestly, he's so good. Yeah. Um, so very good. So that's another good very good midfielder another very amazing talent found there's so many more coming right like that's the other exciting thing um now we just need some defenders <laughs> yes uh, with that in mind i i actually when are we gonna see lucas yeah because that's a great point he secured the starting position in toronto so quickly yeah, it has to be soon. And I hope that it's soon because from what I've heard, at least I haven't actually watched any Toronto matches, but I've heard that he's been doing a pretty good job. And I mean, if he's yeah. starting regularly, then obviously he is doing a good job. And I think yeah. that it would be really great to see that progression from CPL to MLS to the Canadian national team. It would be a really mm. great sort of... Uh, he would deserve it. Also, he's just like, he works so hard. I know him quite well. And, yeah. you know, honestly, a great story, but also he's just the kind of person that really deserves it. I think so, too. Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, let's get Filippo in here because um, this result, Filippo, really doesn't impact us, but it does impact the U.S. Um, that game in Mexico, 0-0 draw, I had my eye on it because I was like, not going to lie, secretly hoping that Mexico maybe sneaks one in and uh, we just like mathematically qualify. Um, regardless... All of a sudden, the U.S. and Mexico are looking over their shoulders. You know, I was counting on Canada to help the United States, but now Sorry, I know better. Right? Canadians. I can't count on you guys. <laughs> I just can't count. You guys, you find an opportunity to be rude and you grab it, right? That's what you do. Yeah, I mean, the, the U.S.-Mexico game, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, I expected a 0-0 draw uh, before the game. And if anyone doesn't believe me, it's on video. So I've said it many times uh, during at my channel. And it kind of went the way I expected as well in terms of how Greg played the game. Greg came in, of course, we wanted to win, but it was a much more conservative approach. And ideally, his main goal was to not lose. And we saw that with the late subs in the game, right? Um, putting in two more center backs in the end, playing Palmer Brown as a right back, pretty much as an extension of a... a a back line with four center backs, four real center backs, right? He put at one point we had the last 15 minutes or so of the game, we had Miles Robinson, Walker Zimmerman, Eric Palmer Brown, and Aaron Long all in the field. That's four center backs, four natural center backs, uh, along with playing starting lineup with Tyler Adams and Kellen Acosta in the midfield. That was the approach. And overall, the result is not bad for the United States, getting an away draw in Azteca. 
And we're going to face now Panama and Orlando, the game I'm going to go to this Sunday. And if we win against Panama, we are in a somewhat similar situation that Canada encounters themselves right now. We won't be mathematically qualified if Costa Rica wins their game. But the goal differential, right, it's so absurd between Costa Rica and the top three teams right there that, you know, if the United States beats Panama, we're pretty much in the World Cup. But with that said, still got to get the homework done, right? Uh, Panama is not just a walkover. We're not going to go there and just destroy Panama. Need to get the job done. And Tim Weah will be suspended. Yedlin will be suspended. And Reggie Ken was sent home. So Greg Berhalter is bringing in Shaq Moore from La Liga 2. And Joe Scali has once again not made the roster. Even with Dest, Cannon, and Yedlin out, Joe Scali cannot make the roster. The Bundesliga is probably a very bad league, Manuel. Terrible. No yeah, Brooks, I mean, no Scali. I mean, it must I mean, be at least auto, I don't know. like top 20, but definitely behind MLS. Yeah, it might be definitely behind La Liga too. I'll tell you that. Uh, clearly so uh, again and i look and just to make it clear none of us here are stupid and they're just gonna say yeah we judge a player by where he plays that's not what we're saying but you need a like where he plays matters because if you go and you score 10 goals in college soccer in the united states it's not the same as scoring 10 goals in bundesliga for christ's sakes even mls yeah, also it, honestly i didn't understand why eric palmer brown was called called up over um Brooks. I mean, or Aaron playing Long in the lower reaches of the of league. Oh, that's well, or or even Aaron Long that's coming back from a very serious Achilles injury in MLS, and he kind of looked a little lost yesterday. Aaron Long kind of looked like someone that's returning. So yeah, it's just Burhalter, and to be fair, um, we probably should have like Pfock and Pulisic missed opportunities that were ridiculous. They were as close as you get to a tap-in, and they both missed it. So you can't really blame Berhalter. Yeah, Berhalter still has all of the questionable decisions he made, but yesterday, the fact that we didn't get the win is mostly on the players. And also, to add to this, on the ball, Mexico was better, but we had better opportunities to get the goal. That's That's what I'll say. The result's fine. Hopefully, we beat Panama on Sunday. And if we do so, we're good to go for Qatar pretty much. I think the, I want to maybe end on a positive when it comes to the US. Um, G Arena comes back, Filippo. And um, there's a lot of reports now out there that Borussia Dortmund are going through a big rebuild um, over the next couple or three transfer windows. I outlined all of that on the last Gegen Preston podcast, if you're interested in. And one of the things that is really materialized from that is that um, one Dortmund have penciled Gio Reyna in as a, playing a key part in this rebuild um, and in a medium term to replace Marco Royce, who is probably going to get, as he gets older, um, playing a smaller and smaller role at the club, um, at least on the field, right? Um, and he looked so very good, you know, um, in my opinion, an obvious number 10 kind of like floating attacking midfielder for Dortmund. The question though that I have is, is Berhalder seeing it the same way? Uh, he's seeing him as a winger. Uh, he played as a winger yesterday again. And the, the, the moment that caught the most the attention was this time he got the ball 
a little bit towards the right, and he sh he starts to drive middle, drive central through our defensive end, and he dribbles through. I might. Did you see that play, Manuel? He dribbled yeah, through. I, I posted it on Twitter. Yes, seven or six different Mexican. No one could take the ball from him. It so was good. yes. He's like the, he's one of my favorite players in the world. Has been from ever since he broke in at BVB. He's just honestly, I think he's the most talented player the US ever produced. Uh, right now, talented, yes. talented, yeah. talented. Yes. Not best player, talented player. Yes, uh, and also. And what we saw yesterday is technically not even an in-form Reina. He's coming back from injury. This yeah. is not an in-form Reina. So he's the he's the highest ceiling American we've ever produced, for mm -hmm. sure. That's what I mean. Uh, by that. I like that from what you're saying about Dorman. If they're going to build around him, that means a lot of responsibilities, a lot of minutes. It will just help his development. And he's in a good club for developing, right? So in a good league. So uh, I, I love that. And Giovanni Reina will probably be crucial for the United States on Sunday. Yeah. It will be interesting. I think Sunday is going to be amazing. Um, it was really neat, um, yes, last night to kind of keep an eye on both matches. There's a lot of intrigue in CONCACAF. There's been a lot of intrigue in, in World Cup qualifying in general, and I think it's been a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, um, lots of big, big games still coming up. We're going to find out we'll get to the final spots. And um, I think it's we're going to be back to recap it all once it, the dust settles on it. Um, so yeah, want to want to cap this podcast up off, and um, we'll be back probably next week at some point to recap it all. Um, until then, have a good weekend. Enjoy the games. It will be fun. Cheers. Perfect.